turn on your TV if you have Netflix or Prime Video or anything like that on your smart TV if you have a smart TV uh, you notice all the suggestions of the of the shows right now um, mostly are Halloween type of stuff scary movies things like that have you noticed that I have never been a big fan of of like horror flicks. I know some people that are like crazy about them. Like they, they love to watch horror films. And and uh, and that's great. This is not me. I do like thrillers. You know, like uh, the psychological thrillers. You know, stuff like uh, Shutter Island. That type of stuff. You know, the stuff that's, that's really like gets in your head and makes you think about reality and stuff like that. But, but the all-out, you know, the all-out scary movie gore type of stuff. Um, I noticed the other day we were we were on Amazon Prime. We we're looking at shows and movies and things like that. And uh, I noticed Stephen King's classic It was. Uh, I don't know if it's a remake or like a newer version, but I remember when I was a kid, just just the idea of a clown wandering around a small town is just kind of freaky, right? Um, I don't know if you're into that stuff, but. This time of the year, the thrillers and the horror movies are, are in front of us all the time. Um, I'm not a big fan. I like dramas. I like action. Emily and I have been married for almost 22 years now. And agreeing on movies is becoming harder and harder. Is that normal? Some of you are like, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, remember how excited we were early in our marriage when we could finish each other's sentences because we knew each other so well, right? And then that turned into, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? And uh, it's even worse with movies because I know what I want to watch. I want to watch a good Western, you know, or a war movie, something like that. I could watch Band of Brothers or... Braveheart, you know, those marathon, those long movies. Emily's like, no, we're not watching a four-hour movie about Irish armies. We're not doing it. She doesn't even pretend to care anymore. She's not like, hmm, that might be nice, and then watch one with me. She's like, no, no, we're not watching that. We've got to meet in the middle somewhere. But we do both agree that there are certain movies we just despise. And those are the ones that don't end well. You know the ones I'm talking about? Like the cliffhangers. Especially if it's some kind of trilogy like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or Star Wars where it's like you watch a three and a half hour movie. You give them that much of your time. And then they're like, okay, 365 days, we'll tell you what happens. What happens in the end. You gotta wait till the next Christmas to get the next movie. I don't like those. I don't like those. What's even worse than those, and Emily and I hate these, we'll watch a movie and we'll think, hey, this, this looks pretty good. It gives us four out of five stars or whatever. And we'll watch it. And 
Throughout the story are all these questions and you're kind of putting them in the back of your mind. You're filing them away and you're, and you're expecting those questions to be answered in the end, right? You get to the end and they're not answered. Can I get an amen? I'm not the only one, right? And at the end of the movie, you're like, wait a minute. They left this undone. They left this undone. They didn't answer this. It's, like, it's almost like a completely different director took the last 15 minutes... And, and wrote the last 15 minutes. Those are the most frustrating uh, to me and to my wife. And we're so angry after we watch something like that. We have to watch like a short comedy just to detox. Like a comedy show. And uh, so that we're in our right mind. A good story. A good story has a good storyline and a good ending. A good ending. No loose ends in the story. Today we're going to discover that God is writing a story and has been writing a story that involves you. Not only is the ending good, but every chapter and every moment, every scene is purposefully meant for your good. Romans chapter 8 Verse 28. Paul writes, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. One verse today, but so so many truths packed into this one verse. When Paul says we, who is he referring to? The last couple of weeks, we've given you a little bit of context for this passage. Paul is talking about himself. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about those people, those Peculiar people from verse 16 whom he says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Those who all together have said individually of themselves, they've come to the same conclusion that Paul has about the law of God and said, I don't measure up to God's law. Wretched man, wretched person that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? For everyone who has come to the end of themselves and cried out to God to save them through Jesus Christ, those are the people he's talking about in this passage. He says that we have the Spirit within us, that the Holy Spirit testifies that we are children of God, that we've been adopted into His family. Even though our flesh cries out, even though we, like the creation, he says earlier, groan within ourselves. We're longing to be in heaven, seeing Jesus face to face. We've been saved, he says in verse 24, uh, with hope. And so now we persevere because we haven't seen, we have not seen Jesus face to face, but we will. We have never experienced a life without pain, without misery, without heartache, but we will. We've never experienced a life without loss, but we will. And so with hope, we persevere. 
That's the we he's talking about. Believers. People who have been adopted. Children of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. He says in verse 26 and 27 last week that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He helps us in our weaknesses because we don't even know how to pray. This side of heaven, we don't even know how to pray many times. We have a heart that's full of groanings, desires, pains, pleasures that our voice can't, that our mouths can't even give voice to. But God gives us His Holy Spirit who groans with in ways too deep for words that we can't even express. Those who have the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 28, he says in the same way, and we, believers, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. First thing we notice in this passage is that your story is God's story. Write that down. If you have a journal with you this morning, or maybe you take notes on your cell phone. Your story is God's story. The first phrase we see here, we know that God causes. God causes. God is the author of the story of your life. You don't get to write it yourself. You may think that you do. Many people think that they're going to make their way in life. They're going to carve out their own future. and They're going to do things my way, as Frank Sinatra used to say. But we don't do things our way. We have choices. We make choices. We have the freedom to make certain choices in life. But... All of history, past, present, and future, is God's story. He's the author. Not only is He the author of, as the Bible says, our faith, He's the author and perfecter. That is, He's the one who sets out to write the story, and He's the finisher. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Creator, and He's the Redeemer. He does it all from beginning to end. Your story is God's story. But in God's story, and in your story, and in everyone's story, whether they know it or not, Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the main character in God's story. He said, well, what about people who don't believe in God, who have never surrendered their life to Christ? They are still, their story is still all about Jesus. It's all about redemption. It's all about Him. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that when Jesus comes again, on that day in the end, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that everything that was ever made, past, present, and future, was made by Him and through Him. Apart from Jesus, the Bible says in John 1, Nothing has come into being that has come into being. This little song stand podium is for Jesus. That bench that you sit in is for Jesus. 
The car that you drive is for Jesus. Remember that when you're on 347. Oh, preach to myself here. Right? It's all for Him. It all belongs to Him. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of every square inch of your life. Your story is for God. God is the cause. Tuck that away. Remember that. God is the cause. He says here, we know that God causes all things. God causes all things. He is the author of this. He's in control. In this story, he is not surprised about what happens in chapter 5 of your life. Or chapter 6 or chapter 7. It doesn't take him by surprise. Why? Because he's the author. He's writing your story. And your story is all about Jesus. In Romans 11, just a few pages over. To my right. And to your right too, unless you're reading from a Hebrew Bible. But still, it's the New Testament, so it wouldn't be in Hebrew. In chapter 11, verse 33 through 36, Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He's talking about the author there. The depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. You cannot measure them. For who has known the mind of of the Lord or become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again another way of saying verse 35 is who does God owe anything to none of us <laughs> not a single character in the story he's written us into his story he owes us nothing verse 36 for from him and through him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God causes. Your story is God's story. He is the author. He is the finisher. He's the perfecter. And He knows what's going on every step of the way. Number two, the second thing we notice in God's Word this morning from verse 28 is that God is not passive along the process. God is not passive along the process, along the way. Because He says here, we know that God causes all things to work. God causes all things to work. You know, we might get frustrated at those books or those movies where it seems as though the directors and the producers have forgotten what they've already written in the past. We get frustrated towards the end because they don't deliver. See, the Bible says here about God is that God's not passive along the process. He superintends every single step along the way. He causes all things to work together. It doesn't say God causes all things to happen for the good of those who love God and who are called. God is not, listen to me, 
God is not making lemonade out of your lemons. He's not. God doesn't passively step away from what's going on in your life and then one day his alarm clock goes off and he says, oh yeah, I almost forgot. I, I was supposed to help you through this. I was supposed to be there. No, God's with you every step of the way. Even in the hardest of times. Even in those chapters of your life where you feel like he is not listening, you feel like he's not present. No, for all of those who are sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it's His story and He is purposefully present in the process. He is not passive. The third thing that we notice is that each point along the process is important and intentional. Now this pill is a little hard to swallow. When we think of the things that happen in our life, difficult times, times of pain, times of loss, times of discouragement, disappointment, the hills, the valleys, both of those. There are times where we think, possibly, we might be tempted to think, I, I cannot fathom that God was in control, that God was present, that God saw me when I was going through that. When, that God saw me when my family or my friend were experiencing this type of pain. He, he must have been busy elsewhere. Otherwise, how can I explain His goodness if He allowed this to happen? Or, better yet, if He caused this to happen, or if He was in control when this happened. This is one of the harder things for people to come to grips with, that each point along the process is important to God and it is intentional. Because he says here in verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Sometimes what we're tempted to do is to take those areas of our life that are most uncomfortable and kind of sequester them, right? Right? Put them in a compartment. Put them in a place that says, this doesn't belong with the other things that God has done in my life. When people ask you, how are you? How has the Lord blessed you? We usually don't mention those things in life that cause us pain. We keep those in the corner and we focus on the things that other people would usually consider to be a blessing, right? How has God blessed you? Well, He's given me my health. He's given me a home. He's given me uh, all, my, all my family's doing well. Or hey, I have a good job. You know, I'm doing well financially. I'm out of debt. We, we, might, we might name certain things, but then other things we keep in the corner. For whatever reason. Sometimes we think that if I mention that, they might get the wrong idea about who God is. Maybe God's not good. If they know this has been happening in my life. Well, what kind of God do you serve? You, you consider that a blessing? That you were demoted? That you lost your job? That you're diagnosed with cancer? 
You consider it a blessing that you lost your best friend to a drunk driver? How does that fit into God's plan? How can God be good? How can, how can that have fit into the story? How is it that that can be an intentional and important part of your story? See, Paul doesn't say here that we know that God causes all things to work or to happen eventually for the good of those who love God, that God takes our lemons and He makes lemonade. At some parts of our life, God blesses us. In other parts, He just, he just wasn't awake or He wasn't there. No. The Bible says here that we know that God causes all things to work together. Together for the good. It's all part of what God is doing. Every single up and down of your life is part of who God is making you to be. And you haven't crossed the finish line yet. That's why the Bible in the New Testament talks to us so much about perseverance. Because your story, this is not the last chapter of your story. But one day you will cross the finish line. Whether you go home to be with the Lord, whether you die this side of heaven, or Jesus comes again while you are still alive, at some point, at some point, the end is going to come. Don't judge the chapters in isolation. I thought I was pretty big stuff when I was younger. I shared a, uh, a room with my older brother, Jake. Jake is now a retired major from the Air Force. And uh, I've always looked up to him. And when we were younger, we shared a bedroom. And he had the neatest desk and bookshelves uh, in our room. And I had like clothes and homework and stuff like shoved into all the little places. And I mean, you could tell the difference between my side and his side. You guys have a, anybody out there have a sibling and you had a side and there was like an invisible line across the room and they couldn't cross your side, yeah, vice versa. Well, my brother Jake, he had, even at a young age, he had all these thick books. I mean, novel-sized books on his bookshelf. And he had read every one. He read all the Lord of the Rings before they were, you know, put into movies and things like that. He read, he'd sit down and read one of those. And he'd read all this other stuff. And I didn't have a book on my bookshelf until, until they came out with a set of books called the Choose Your Own Adventure Books. Anybody remember the choose your own adventure books you know they were for me it was a thick book it was about I don't know maybe 200 pages and uh, I thought this is my kind of book you know why because a choose your own adventure book you start the book and it's this story that begins and there's a part where you get to this choice somewhere like in the first chapter and they'll give you this choice if you would rather swim with the sharks, you know, and take your chances, blah, 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 turn to page 78. Like, sweet! I'm on page 11. I get to jump all the way to page 78. I read page 78, go about five pages. And it says, if you'd like to uh, 
try your chances in Bangkok to find the buried treasure, turn to page 190. <laughs> yes, turn to page 190. It was, and you'd have other options there, and I would always choose the one that got me further down the road in the book. Man, I thought it was big stuff. I finished the Choose Your Own Adventure book, stick my chest out, and walk up to my brother and say, hey, I just finished this book. And it took me like three days, but I'm done. You'd be like, that's a Choose Your Own Adventure book. That's not a real book. See, I wanted to, I wanted to jump from chapter to chapter. I wanted to be able to choose the destiny of my character towards the end. And depending upon what you chose, you might discover towards the end of the book that your, your character dies. You know? Depending upon the way that you choose your adventure. And there are some options where you make it to the end of the book and you live happily ever after. But that's not your story. That's not my story. It's not one that we can pick and choose the chapters we want to live through. It's not one that we can... We can go back and say, you know, if I had it to do over again, I would take that chapter out. You may have a chapter like that in your life. You may have one that you're in right now that you're wondering, is this necessary? Can I skip ahead? God, are you even paying attention in this chapter that I'm in right now? See, God has reasons for the bad chapters. That doesn't free us of our responsibility of the choices we make in those chapters, but it testifies to His goodness and His sovereignty that those chapters did not surprise Him. They're part of your story. They're part of what He's doing in your life. Now, you may have questions. You may think, well... I don't think that chapter was necessary. I think I could have learned that lesson or I think God could have made me into who He's making me without that. That seems to me, that chapter, that part in my story seems to be completely unnecessary. Other people aren't going through that. I remind you of the story of Job in the Old Testament. In the book of Job, the Bible says that Job was a righteous man during his time. Upright, blameless. Means nobody could... Nobody could accuse Job of anything. And God allows the enemy, Satan, to pretty much destroy, wreak havoc upon Job's life. Listen to what Job says at the end. Because... What happens in this story about Job, he has three friends that come to him. And they try to explain to him why, why this chapter in Job's life is happening. He loses his family. His family dies. He loses his wealth. He loses his home. He loses the clothes off his back. He loses his cattle. He loses his farms. He loses his, his, his entire living. He loses his reputation. And then finally his body is covered in sores to where he is so uncomfortable and in so much pain that he cannot sleep at night. He is constantly scratching his body of these sores. 
and his friends come to him and say, it must be, you must have done something wrong. This must be God's punishment. Something in your life must not be right. So Job questions the Lord. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand this. And at the end of his life, not the end of his life, but the end of his, this chapter in his life, he says this, Job answered the Lord. This is in verse uh, chapter 42. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. He says, I put my hand on my mouth. I thought I knew who you were, and I didn't. I knew the God of all of my blessings. That was my God. I did not know the God who owns everything, who created everything. The one who Paul says in Romans 11, everything is from Him and through Him and to Him. So at the end of the day, I can do nothing but say, you are God and I'm not. And so if you're asking this morning, if you're asking this morning, why? Why did I experience this thing in my life, this chapter in my life that was so difficult? Why is it that I'm going through it right now? Brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I would love to tell you why. But I can't. I can't tell you why. Because I don't know why. And you may not know why. This side of heaven. You may never know why until you see Jesus face to face. But I can tell you this. I can tell you who. I can tell you that God is in control. I can tell you that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. I know that God will get you through it. And I also know that you'll be better for it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 that what we endure in this life, what the children of God endure in this life is like the refining of gold so that one day when we're in Jesus' presence, all of those things that we experienced in life will result in our salvation when we'll see Jesus face to face. And all of the pain will be gone. All of the loss will be fulfilled, will be gained. All of that emptiness in your heart will be filled. Not just for a moment, but forever. Jeremiah 29, 11, the prophet Speaking the words of God says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope. God has 
your good in mind, even in the chapters that you consider bad. Don't give up. Persevere. Know that every single chapter, God has a purpose for. So he says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Together for good. His plans are good. Together for good to those who love God. Those who love God. The final thing I want you to think about this morning is that our perspective toward the author has a direct impact on our perspective toward the story. Let me say that again. Our perspective towards the author has a direct impact upon our perspective towards the story. The way we think about what God has done in our life and what God is doing right now has a direct implication about what we think about God, period. What do you think about God? Do you think God is good? I've been at churches before where the announcer guy or the pastor will say, God is good! And then all the people go, all the time! And then the pastor will say, all the time! And the people say, God is good! It's kind of this, you know, trade-off thing. It's kind of like a cheer. It's, it's true! God is good all the time. But do we really, do we believe that? Why do we say that? Why do people say that? God is good all the time. When there are chapters in our life where we wonder, is God, I mean, what I'm going through is not good. You know? I mean, this thing that, this disease that my loved one has contracted, that's not good. The earth should not be full of disease right now. Right? Crime should not be happening. People shouldn't be losing their life for no reason. So there are things that we can call evil, that we can call bad. But God is good. Do we really believe that God is good? If we believe that God is good all the time, that the author of the story is good, that he's intentionally involved in every chapter of the story, that nothing is outside of his vision, his reach, his control... We must believe that God is good if we believe this about the story. That the author is good. And if the author is good, the story is good. The overall story is good. The pain that I experience is good. The separation, the loss, is part of God's overall good. Now, I worked with a professor one time um, who... did not share my perspective on God being good. He experienced great loss in his life and when he lectured about God's identity and who God is and how we should think about God, he shared a personal story about someone in his life who he lost, who he loved dearly. And he said some Christians, some Christians would like to say that the reason that 
this person died and that they experienced what, what many would consider um, gratuitous pain, unnecessary pain, or unnecessary evil, that when, when people say, well, God ha- that, that happened because of God's greater good, that God's working out some greater good, and that's part of it. He said, that's not good enough for me. That's not good enough. I need answers. I need answers now. And the only answer that he could give was that God was not in control. That there were places in the story where God was not on the job. Because he couldn't conceive of a good God who's authoring the whole story and allow things like that to happen. Folks, you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful because there's a very fine line between having God's perspective and Christ's perspective on who God the Father is and His goodness and Satan's perspective on who God is. I want to remind you of Genesis chapter... Three. The Bible says in chapter 1 that God created it and it was good. Everything was good. Yes, even God putting a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden and telling Adam and Eve that if everything else in the garden they were free to eat, eat freely. No restrictions except for one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it you shall what? Surely die. Freely eat. Surely die. The phrase surely die is a, is a, a repetitive way of saying die. It's mot tamut. Whenever you say that point is moot... You're using a Hebrew word that says it's empty, it's dead. It's a dead point, right? Mot tamut, to die dead. To eat freely is like not just to eat. You can eat whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Except for that tree. So here the author of the story is writing his story. And in comes the deceiver. The one who said, the one angel who said to the Father, I will be like the Most High. It is not right that he has things, he has authority as the author himself that I cannot have access to. I want to know all mysteries. The Bible says that he was cast down with the third of heaven. And those angels that were cast down with him are considered demons. They didn't like the author being sovereign. They wanted to share His glory. And so what happens when He comes into the garden to deceive Adam and Eve? What does He say? He talks to Eve about the tree. She says, well, He said we can eat of any tree of the garden except for this tree in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of it or even touch it or we will die. The serpent says, you won't die. You will not surely die. And then he inserts this, which piques their curiosity. He knows 
that in the day that you eat of it, you will be wise like Him and you will know the things that He knows. And He doesn't want you to have what He has. Hmm. That's what we want though, isn't it? We want to know what God knows. We want to be able to look at the things that happen in our life and explain them away and understand them just in the same way that the author does. We want a glimpse behind the curtain. And so many people in this life, when they can't get that glimpse that only God gets, they say, well then, I will not believe in Him. I will not serve Him. Game over. That's what the Bible actually calls a spirit, the spirit of anti-Christ. It is not like Christ at all. When Christ comes in the New Testament, we see the attitude of Christ. Though He existed in the form of God, that is, He had everything at His disposal. He had rights to everything. The Bible says, He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He took upon the name of Jesus. He, he was beaten. He was scorned. He hung on a cross for you and for me. <laughs> Lucifer would never do that. Satan would never do that. The Spirit of Christ says, Not my will, but whose? Thy will be done. I don't have to know. I don't have to all, have all this figured out. What I have to do is take one step at a time in faith, knowing that the author of the story loves me, he has a purpose, and he's good every step along the way. Our perspective toward the author has a direct impact on our perspective towards the story. Do you believe that? Is God good? Do you believe He's good? Do you believe He's really good? I hope that you do. And I know that you, you share the same temptation as I do to think of those times in your life. Maybe that time is right now where you're suffering and you're wondering, what is God doing? Brothers and sisters, do not give up. Do not give up. He loves you. He is in control. He is sovereign. And He is good. And you can believe that He is good. Trust in Him. Trust in Him and know that He causes all things, every chapter, to work together for good to those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. The main character of God's story is His Son Jesus. And every single character in God's story has to answer the question, has to come face to face with that question of what did you do with Jesus? How did you respond to the main character. Did you receive Him as your Lord and King? Did you humble yourself before Him? Did you confess your sin to God? 
and accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Until Jesus comes again or, or you meet God someday after you die. That's the, that's the number one question about your life and about your story. Do you belong to Christ? Do you know Him? How have you answered that question in your lifetime? Would you bow your head with me? As I'm going to close this in prayer. I want to invite you this morning just to cast your mind upon the Lord to think about God. Maybe this passage has shed some light. Maybe God's Word today has challenged you in some way to think about God differently. Father, as we come before you, we humble ourselves at your feet. We ask God that you would form our hearts, that you would form our minds in the way that we just sang earlier. God, that you would conform us to your will. God, that we would humble ourselves to You, believing that You are good. As much pain and perseverance and things that we experience in this life, God, I have, I have never experienced the type of pain as Your servant Job. God, who was, who was tested down to the very last thread and fragment of his life, but who testified that you are good, that you had been good to him, and that you continue to be good to him even in the times of trial and testing and pain. God, that we would trust that you have a purpose and that your purpose is great and grand and beyond anything we could ever imagine. Lord, that we would confess to you today, Lord, this morning, that our our perspective and our view is so small. And that many times the enemy is whispering in our ear just like he did Adam and Eve. Saying things like, God doesn't care about you. God's not watching. God's not there. There's no reason for this. There's no purpose in this. God, give us wisdom and strength in those moments. Help us to recall this passage of Scripture from Romans 8.28 today. Help us to recall other places in Your Word, Father, that encourage us and that testify to us that the enemy is a liar and that You are true and that You are good. Lord, give us strength to make it through those chapters in our life that we think are never going to end. And we just want to jump ahead. And we just want to forget. And we just want to bury things and put things in the corner. God, help us to endure. Help us to, 
to persevere by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, give us strength as we put on the full armor of God. As we not live in isolation, but surround ourselves with other brothers and sisters in Christ who many times don't know what to say in the midst of our pain, and that's okay. But God, who can encourage us so that we know that we're part of a family of sons and daughters who have been adopted by you and who have the Holy Spirit, who have that deposit, that down payment as an assurance that you will finish what you started. And God, that we can look forward to the day when you call us home. Give us that faith and that assurance this morning. God, if there's one here this morning who has never surrendered their life to you, they've maybe dabbled with church, they've opened up your word a few times, but they've never received your son Jesus Christ for their salvation, that today would be the day. When they cry out to you, save me. Save me by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let it be so this morning, Lord, as you mold our hearts and our minds to glorify you. And let us testify with our lives that you are good. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.